I understand parents who fight against critical race theory, but it is something completely different when the fight against those parents who fight against critical race theory are fought by being told they're racist. That's what Representative Rashida Tlaib said of those people opposed to critical race theory. Just yesterday, Christopher Rufo of the Manhattan Institute, he writes at City Journal, and you know his work, I've shared it here, a discussion he has been engaged in exposing how critical race theory and anti-racism have been taught in schools, uh, on the university set, and in government agencies. And he finally was able to get the one-on-one with Joy Reid over at MSNBC, who has been promoting the need for things like critical race theory, mocking those who disagree with it. She had been unwilling to speak with him, finally has him on, and she goes out of her way every time he goes to make a point to state that what you're talking about isn't critical race theory and the people you're talking about aren't teaching critical race theory. It's very interesting to me that so many people are now running away from the race of uh, the, 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 the no, label that's... of critical race theory. But He's I'm not gonna, a critical I'm race theorist. Just, hold on. I'm going to quote two critical race theorists. Barbara Applebaum with the book Being Good, Being White. She says, quote, all white people are racist. Uh, Robin DiAngelo, who's another critical whiteness She's studies scholar, says race that, quote, White identity is inherently racist. They start by talking about Ibram Kendi, who, of course, wrote the book about anti-racism and ensured uh, that children were in this because he wrote about how to be an anti-racist baby. So you mean if I talk about anti-racism, it has no connection to critical race theory? Are we sure or are we playing a sophists game, S-O-P-H-I-S-T-S, where we're pretending something doesn't mean what it actually means for the sake of semantics and not for the sake of having the larger conversation. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's so good to be with you. Let me bring in Charles Cook, Charles C.W. Cook, senior writer at National Review, co-host of the Mad Dogs and Englishmen podcast, and the author of the Conservatarian Manifesto. You can find that at Amazon.com or wherever fine books are sold. His latest piece at National Review, or the piece that I saw, the backlash against critical race theory is real, as I have been talking about it here, hashtag the great pushback. And you bring up what I think is one of the more valuable points for people who have been, whether they're involved or not, watching this conversation about critical race theory. The people who want you to be exactly perfectly correct and the people who we all know what we're talking about, so why are we pretending we're not? When you look at this backlash against critical race theory and you see this happening, how is it that you explain it to people and how did you explain to respond? I think the important point here is that what people in schools, what parents, what concerned citizens are alarmed about is the consequences of critical race theory, not the theory itself. One of the analogies that I draw in the piece I wrote is with modern monetary theory, modern monetary theory, this idea that doesn't matter how much you, you borrow. If you control the currency, you can just infinitely borrow. Now, you don't have to be at a graduate school for business or economics to know that we shouldn't borrow $20 trillion next year. You could read that in the newspaper and say, that is a very bad idea. And I, as a citizen, oppose it. So sure, critical race theory, as a theory, 
is taught in graduate schools, not in K through 12. But the consequences of critical race theory, well, that's what we're dealing with. That's what parents object to. And they specifically object to any sort of race essentialism. They object to the idea that the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the American system is a fraud, is just a front for racism or power dynamics. They object to teaching English literature as if the only thing that's important in it is race. They object to the teaching of math uh, as if there is such a thing as racist math, which we've now seen uh, pop up. And they object to the idea that universal values, um, hard work, motivation, thrift, um, are somehow white. Uh, And they should object to that because that's an extraordinarily racist idea, not against white people, but against non-white people. And we've seen this as put forth by the Smithsonian when they came up with that chart. You talk about racist math. Uh, Radical math is taught right here in the state of Indiana. It is as clear as day as part of the Department of Education. And the governor, Eric Holcomb, has yet to speak out about it. But one of the things that you're discussing reminds me of one of those rules for radicals by Saul Alinsky that you push outside the expertise of your opponent. And what it seems like the joy reads of the world are doing, and we're seeing this in school boards, whether it be Loudoun County or right here in central Indiana or or in places across the country, they're trying to pat the parents on the head and say, no, 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 that isn't what we're teaching here. You make the argument that it doesn't matter how they word it. Your exact words are precision in language is important, and yet after a certain point, it matters less what we choose to call a given trend than that we acknowledge that said trend exists. Describe the trend that you believe exists and where do you think it's going? Well, I mean, Joy Reid is a liar and a conspiracy theorist, and she's been one of the worst actors in all of this. And that clip you played yesterday uh, was a disgrace, uh, and it was indicative of the problem here. You know, Ibram Kendi is a critical race theorist, at least to an extent, and he said so himself in an interview he did recently with Slate, an interview that was set up as a pat-on-the-head attempt. The argument Slate was making is, parents don't know what this is because they're stupid. Ibram Kendi, tell us. He does, and then they say, are you a critical race theorist? And he says he's incorporated it into all of his work. So he is a critical race theorist. You know, I quote in the piece John McWhorter, the Columbia uh, academic, wonderful man, who says that it doesn't really matter what is in the essays and academic papers from 20, 30 years ago. What matters is what is being done in critical race theory's name now. And he gives a number of examples around the country of policies that are being done in critical race theory's name now. And that's what parents object to. They don't care what it's called. They don't want to get involved in some semantic game with Joy Reid where she just flatly denies that anything that she doesn't like or that sounds a bit crazy is critical race theory. After a point, that is irrelevant. If you see that your kids are being taught that the important lens to view the whole world through is race, is power differentials, if you see that your kids are being taught not that the American ideal is a beautiful and universal one, that we have often fallen short of, which we absolutely have with slavery, segregation, Jim Crow, redlining, the rest of it, you're going to get upset as a parent. And at that point, you're just not really going to be particularly interested if someone says, well, go and read Kimberly Crenshaw. 
go and read Derek Bell. These are the original critical race theory um, scholars. You're going to say, look, what does it mean right now? And how is this being implemented in the schools? And what can I do to stop it? And I think that's what's going to happen. The, the left can pretend if it wants to. But this is just a Koch brothers funded AstroTurf campaign. So I can promise you it's not. Uh, I've met many of these parents myself. You're seeing it begin to pop up. And no, not because it's been on Fox News. It's on Fox News because it's begun to pop up. Talking to Charles C.W. Cook of National Review Online. The piece, which you can find there, The Backlash Against Critical Race Theory, is real. You can also find his book, The Conservatarian Manifesto, at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. It is a conversation on my radio shows daily now. Uh, we've set up email addresses where people can send what's going on school at schools here uh, in Indiana and throughout the Midwest. Uh, I want to go back uh, to to the piece because you brought up something that I agree with the or or I see as part of the problem, and and it is I, I refer to it as this head padding, but rather it's the indifference that school boards, superintendents, media apparatchik, many politicos have towards millions of Americans of all stripes saying this isn't what we want. Your exact line is they will not be stopped by academic sophistry. They will not be stopped by epithets and insults. And they certainly will not be stopped in one of the great uses of the world, of the word, and I'm always pronouncing it wrong, by professional poco curantists who simply refuse to believe that anyone could possibly care about the matter at all. P-O-C-O-C-U-R-A-N-T-I-S. T, which is a tendency to conduct expressing indifference or nonchalance or a lack of concern. It is that that so stuns the parent, that stuns the people who are seeing this with their children and are discussing it, that the school boards, their school board, their town, their city has this, yeah, it's not a big deal, yeah, don't worry about it, type of attitude. And I think more than anything... And I want to hear your thoughts that parents are amazed that they're being treated with this level of indifference. Yeah, and I think it's a combination of two things. The first is lying. There's a great deal of lying here. Parents are being told, oh, well, you're just fragile and white. You just don't want your kids to be taught about slavery, about the history of the United States. It's just not true. For a start, we teach every kid about slavery. They can't avoid being taught about slavery, and nor should they. It is already a part of the curriculum. Every bill in the country that has tried to crack down on critical race theory, be it in Florida, Texas, they all include lists of uh, historical events that have to be taught, including the Holocaust, slavery, Jim Crow, the Civil War. Florida's bill uh, includes a provision uh, that we teach heroic non-white figures. This is a good thing. It's got nothing to do, this debate, with whether we teach slavery or the history of racism. So I think one thing that irritates parents is, is the lying. But the second thing, and this really is related to your point about indifference, is parents have every right to be involved in what their kids are taught at government schools. Those, these schools are owned by the government, they're run by the government, they're funded by the government. And that means that they're owned and run and funded by taxpayers, by the very parents who send their children there. Uh, we do not treat schools from K through 12 
as salons in 18th century Paris, in which any idea may be thrown around and debated. We should treat universities like that. We should treat the country at large like that. But that's not how you behave with a nine-year-old. Um, and it is entirely reasonable for parents to say that they don't want their children to be taught critical race theory or the, the products of critical race theory in exactly the same way as it would be fine for parents to say they don't want their children to be taught that white supremacy is good or that anti-Semitism is good or that the earth is flat. This, this is not a free exchange of ideas. Um, and it is a bad thing when people are taught that the uh, immutable characteristics of a given person are the most important thing about them and will, will set their role in life forever. It's not true in America. Um, and uh, insofar as we set a curriculum, we should be prohibiting that. Andrew Sullivan, over at his Substack, wrote a piece, uh, Don't Ban CRT, Expose It. And he's discussing a classically liberal way to fight the illiberalism that exists within critical race theory. And one of the things that he discusses is the idea that eventually you may have to pull your kids out of these schools that teach uh, these kinds of things. Do you agree with that idea? Because parents are, I mean, parents are walking through this idea. Do I just homeschool or do I fight? Where are you? I think they have to fight. I mean, I, I admire Andrew Sullivan, especially on this question. I think he's got a brilliant mind. I think he's mostly right about critical race theory. But, you know, not everyone is in a position where they can pull their kids out of school. Not everybody can afford to send their children to private school or parochial school. Not everyone can afford to homeschool them. Not everyone lives in a state with charter schools or vouchers. You know, sometimes you just have to stand and fight where you are. And again, I'll say... Sure, in an ideal world, I would love us just to have complete freedom of choice in schools. That would be the ideal. But if we're not going to have that, and the teachers' unions still have a great deal of power in this country, then we damn well get to decide at the school board level what is taught. So, no, I, I don't think that the only reasonable solution here is for people to take their kids out. If you can take your kids out, sure. If you can lobby for charter schools and vouchers, sure. If you can homeschool, sure. But there are a lot of people who aren't in that privileged position, and they need to show up at their school and say, hey, I want to have a say in what my kids are taught, and I don't want them to be taught race essentialism. The article at nationalreview.com, the backlash against critical race theory is real. You need to read it for yourself. Charles C.W. Cook, you can find him at Charles C.W. Cook, C-O-O-K-E, Charles C.W. Cook.com. Always good to have a chance to talk to you, Charles. We will do it again soon. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So there's a new show coming on Netflix that has people up in arms. They're like, this is ridiculous. I think it's just an act of pure genius. Pure genius. And it's called Sexy Beasts. It's the story of my life, people. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Yeah, I said it. Want some? Get some. Listen, here's the show. You have a, It's a dating show. And, and you got the guys, right? You got, you got the guys and you got the, uh, uh, the ladies. And I don't know, maybe they got a version that's just guys and guys or just ladies and ladies. I've, I don't, can't keep up anymore. But we don't want the guy seeing what the lady looks like. We don't want the lady seeing what the guy looks like because we want it to be about love and not anything superficial, even though you have to look at this person every day over breakfast for the rest of your days. 
looks do matter a little bit. You got to be attracted to the person. Just saying. Um, so, uh, so, so what what you got here is that they take the people and they put them in makeup and and facial prosthetics, and you don't know who it is. So one person is dressed like a dolphin. And another person is dressed like, I don't know, a, a bagel. I have no idea what they're dressed like. And people are like, this is a, I guess they're dressed like beasts. This is a ridiculous idea. I think it's a genius idea. Of course it's a genius idea. It is The Bachelor meets The Masked Singer. Now, The Masked Singer is the most ridiculous idea in all of TV. The Masked Singer doesn't make any sense at all or in any way. They're singing. We're like, hmm, let's guess who it is. What's so special about it? Famous people, Tony. I Victor Oladipo did it. How famous are they? I, I, you know, Dancing with the Stars is the same. You know, they're not really stars, but, you know. Carol Baskin over Victor Oladipo. That's what happens when you screw over the Indiana Pacers. If, if I got those no are my only you. two choices. I, I got, yeah, that's right. I go Carol Baskin all the time. She's totally innocent. You don't, you're not... <laughs> You're not going to watch the show? There's a show on Netflix called Love is Blind where they do this where the people are can't see each other. This is the same thing except they're wearing stupid makeup. I, 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 I don't need another version of the show. You know what your problem is? What? You, you, you're just upset that you never came up with the idea. I, they, you're upset. Neither did they. This they, is not an original idea. Uh, yeah, it, they're going to be making money off of it. This no, thing's going to go four seasons. Yeah, right. Four seasons. You, you have too much faith in America's ability to discern the garbage. No, I'm very good at determining what TV shows will and will not be successful. Oh, please. It's true. It's a gift. You are a huge fan of Small Wonder. I don't even know what that is. That was with the girl who was the robot. I don't. The well, daughter who out. was the robot. 80. I wasn't alive. Oh, he, was, he wasn't alive, everybody. Am I the only person who remembers Small Wonder? Can't be. Can, cannot be. Then again, I didn't see Alf going four seasons either. Wait, do you know what Alf is? Yeah, he's the puppet. You know what Alf is, but you don't know what Small Wonder is, and you blame it There's, on age? Alf is more cultural than Small Wonder. Girl robot. It's basically the whole basis behind the weird science. Do you know weird science? Yeah. All right, just making sure. Kelly Brock was hot. I'm sorry, I got totally sidetracked. I think it'll be an interesting show. This is Tony Katz today. The story of Michael B. Jordan. We're not talking about the basketball player here. We're talking about the actor. Creed, Black Panther, Michael Jordan. He is one of the many celebrities who has his own alcohol line. He has a rum. I don't know anything about his rum. Me, I've got a whiskey, right? A rye whiskey called Recovery Rye. We use it uh, as a way of supporting people in the hospitality industry in Indiana who got impacted by COVID. I was happy to do it, happy to put it together. I am trying to figure out what can be done with it. Like, can I can I grow this? Can I add other brands? Is, is there something here? I don't have an answer as of yet. But it's nothing compared to what celebrities have been able to do and sell and Clooney selling his tequila for a billion dollars. And, and then you've got uh, Ryan Reynolds selling his gin, Aviator Gin, for 600 some odd million dollars. There's big money in this. Uh, you've got Jamie Foxx getting into a, a bourbon. I think it's a Brown County bourbon, I think is what it is. Or is it Brown Sugar bourbon? No, he's Brown Sugar bourbon is what I think he's doing. Me, I'm Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. And you've got 
this from from Michael Jordan. This 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 rum. Not the basketball player Michael Jordan. He has a tequila called Sincoro that he put together with Janine Buss or Jeannie Buss of, of the Lakers and a couple other owners. Huge money into his tequila. And tequila has been selling great because tequila was not a victim of tariffs. But bourbon was a victim of tariffs in Europe. And that's why it didn't sell as well and other prices were going up on the on, on bourbon. Tequila prices stayed constant and more people got into tequila. And for a while, if not still, tequila was the fastest growing spirit in America. And while there was a tariff on bourbon going out, there was a tariff on scotch coming in. That tariff has since uh, been removed. Very exciting for scotch drinkers. But he's got this, this uh, rum and it's called Jauvert. Very Les Miserables sounding a name. Jover. He wants to celebrate and shine a positive light on Caribbean culture with this new line of spirits. Well, after the name came came out, some people were like, uh, yeah, about that name. About that Jover name. Turns out that for some people, and in some parts of the Caribbean, the name is representative of enslavement uh, of, of, of people from the islands, Trinidad and Tobago and, and other places. I would not have known that. Michael B. Jordan clearly didn't know that. And he's listening to some people telling him what's up. And he's like, huh. All right. Now we're going to change the name of, uh, of, of, our, uh, of our rum here. That is not being bullied by woke culture. There's a difference. And we should handle ourselves proper and note the difference. There is a difference between somebody saying you can't wear a sombrero or open a taco shop if you're a white woman and someone saying, hey, that name you chose, just so you know, because most people aren't in the business of insulting other people who might be their clients. Now, some things you can't do anything about. I told the story that with the rye whiskey I created, along with, with uh, Crossroad Vintners and along with uh, the people at, at Blend Bar Cigar, which is a cigar lounge uh, and, and a fantastic cigar lounge, and that one of the best cigar lounges in the world, if not the best cigar lounge in the world, I think it was voted... I think it was voted best cigar lounge in the world, blendbarcigar.com. I had gotten uh, one person, and I heard other people said, you're calling your your rye whiskey recovery. Are you mocking people in recovery? What? This is a true story, producer Ari. This happened. This came up. And I thought about it for half a second, and I said, no, I'm good with the name. I think it's obvious when you look at the label and you read the label that we're talking about the recovery of businesses and of hospitality workers in Indiana. And for anybody to want to make the claim that we are um, uh, mocking people in recovery, well, that's, that's a stretch. Now, I say it a, a little more directly to you guys. The people who want that desperately want that. And the people who hate me and would love me off the air would love to build in on that. 
but none of none of that is true. There is there is no insult happening. If I had come up with with a, a name that was actually insulting, you could have an argument and you could say something and it could be a discussion. I didn't pay attention, uh, or I should I shouldn't say I didn't pay attention. I listened to what some people said and said, "No, nah, I'm good with the name. I can justify it. I think it actually tells the story. I think it's 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 got focus. I'm good with it." Michael B. Jordan looked at this and said, "Oh, let's uh, let's not do this. Let's change the name." When they went after Kim Kardashian, she has basically a, a line of what they call shapewear. They're Spanx, right? Sure. When she first launched, the brand was going to be called Kimono. No. <laughs> That's a bad idea. Right? And people are like, Kimono? Now, anybody who thinks that Spanx would be somehow uh, connected to this uh, long history of of Japanese wear, uh, I think they're a ridiculous person. But she looked at it and said, you know what? I'll call them Skims. She threw Kim in there as well. Skims. I don't know. The family's worth a billion dollars plus, and she credits the sex tape, which I give her credit for because it's all. Ray J made that family a billionaire family, and he didn't get a dime. Their dad had a lot to do with it. No, their dad didn't have a lot to do with it. Let's be perfectly clear. Robert Kardashian may have been a successful guy. But it was absolutely nothing compared to what Kim Kardashian was able to do, compared to what Kris Kardashian, the mom, was able to guide them into, and what the Jenner kids have exploded on. Zero. It doesn't come close. If Robert Kardashian were still alive, he'd be like, and I represented OJ? What am I, nuts? Then again, you know, you say what you want about Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner. That guy stepped in. That guy was a father and a half. Just so we're all perfectly clear. I think all people attack all over the place. You know, they they have short histories and oh, that Chris Jenner. I remember when Chris Jenner was 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 crazy, and she's probably still is a little crazy. But good lord, they have made crazy money. And she said, "Ah, might as well keep making crazy money. We'll just change the name. We'll call it Skims." Doesn't matter if you love the name. Billion dollars next. Just keep the print and press going over there at Kardashian HQ. Kardashian. Might as well have their own nation. So there's a difference between the the idea of, of the of the woke folk being super woke and saying, hey, this doesn't work. Then there's also the people who get woke in a completely different way. And this is the story of Winston Marshall. Winston Marshall, you will remember, was playing the banjo and guitar for Mumford and Sons. And what did he do? What was his sin? He commented on a book by Andy No, the journalist, last name spelled N-G-O. Unmasked is the name of the book, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. And he put out a tweet. Congratulations, Andy No. Finally had time to read your important book. You're a brave man. Next thing you know, he's issuing online apologies and he has to step away from the band to examine his blind spots. Meaning the band was so upset that he 
would have, I don't know, a thought of his own and recognize the evil of Antifa. Antifa is real, by the way, and Antifa is violent. They are violent. That's all they are. He had to step away from the band to re-examine his blind spots. And what has he decided? I'm leaving Mumford and Sons. Well, that right there was somewhat unexpected. I did not expect such a thing. The Inquisition. Let's begin. Oh, I thought that was the Monty Python oh one. Oh my God, that was. I thought that was the Monty Python soundbite. I was like, what the hell? Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. I didn't get the reference. Oh, oh, I had the wrong. Oh, that's really disappointing. That was really disappointing. I work for you people. I really do try. So he's leaving Mumford and Sons. And what he has said is, look, I wish the the, the bandmates uh, the best. But what I found myself doing is that people were calling me fascist. 13 members of my family were murdered in the concentration camps of the Holocaust. My grandma, unlike her cousins, aunts, and uncles, survived. My family knows the evils of fascism painfully well. To call me a fascist was ludicrous beyond belief. And he goes on to say leaving the band is because... uh, Uh, For me to speak out about what I've learned to be such a controversial issue will inevitably bring my bandmates more trouble. My love, loyalty, and accountability to them cannot permit that. I could remain and continue to self-censor, but it will erode my sense of integrity, gnaw my conscience. I've already felt that beginning. I must say that does not look well upon his bandmates, that they would say to him, we are so illiberal that we simply cannot have you around. Now, maybe it's different than that. I mean, there's a moment he's he's quoting Solzhitsyn. And he who is not sufficiently courageous to defend his soul, don't let him be proud of his progressive views. And don't let him boast that he is an academian. Uh... Yes, that is that. I don't think I'm pronouncing that wrong. I think maybe it's written wrong for me. Or a people's artist, a disgruntled figure or a general. Let him say to himself, I am part of the herd and a coward. It's all the same to me as long as I'm fed and kept warm. And he couldn't do that. And he says, I will continue my work with Hong Kong Link Up, and I look forward to new creative projects as well as speaking and writing on a variety of issues, challenging as they may be. Well, that right there is woke. Recognizing that the world that people want you to live in is not a world that you can live in. That the world of 1984, the world of the thought police, the world of the oppression is not a world that you can live in. I always know that I live in the rarefied air because I do this for a living. And I am not only able to, I am empowered to speak on subjects that move me and I only hope move you. How difficult it is, I understand, when people are unable to, in their own lives, speak freely, with focus and clarity, 
for fear of losing friends, losing their job, losing their livelihoods, or worse, angering the woke violent mob that is nothing more than violent. It's exactly what we're seeing with this critical race theory conversation. You have the, the, the head of the school board there in Loudoun County, Virginia, Brenda, I'm forgetting her last name, and, and her answer to what she saw in Loudoun County where the parents were, were upset and they were pushing back and they shut down the school board meeting, oh, listen to their racist dog whistles. We're not going to let them stop our equity work. All the parents are racists? That's your argument? That is an ugly, despicable argument. And these parents are now called racist, and they're labeled racist. Oh, we're not going to shop in their store, and oh, we're not going to go to that doctor, and oh, we're not going to do this. And they they feel it financially. And then their kids, you don't think their kids are going to be targeted? Oh, <laughs> And they still stand up. Maybe there is something to being woke. Maybe we got to look at it differently if we're going to be woke for the right reasons. I'm Tony Katz.